Salabona, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Wines of South Africa podcast. I'm U.S. Marketing Manager Jim Clark. In each episode, we explore some aspect of South African wine by talking with winemakers, winery owners, and other members of South Africa's vibrant wine industry. Today, we're going to focus on a corner of Stellenbosch, the Helderberg. For many visitors, it's the first part of the wine district they see. If you're coming from the airport, it's on your right as you turn and head toward town. The name means clear mountain, and the peak of the Helderberg is indeed less prone to the clouds that often pour over the other mountains in the Western Cape during the afternoon. The vineyards can be quite varied because of the nature of the slopes, the differences of the soils, and the different exposures as well. So we're going to hear from one producer in the more northern section of the Helderberg, one from the more southern section, and one from lower down on the slopes. Let's let them introduce themselves and take it from there. My name is Jacques de Clerc. I am the director of viticulture and winemaking at Radford Dale. Radford Dale is a medium-sized winery based in Stellenbosch, and we focus on site-specific wines from various parts of the Cape. The Helderberg is a part of the Stellenbosch wine region. It is located where we are about five kilometers from the Atlantic Ocean, but it's near Cape Town. And because of that, there is a stronger maritime influence in this part of Stellenbosch, namely the Helderberg, than there is in parts that are further from the sea, such as Simonsburg and areas out towards Paul. And this gives the Helderberg a unique set of characters in terms of its terroir and its climate. And we believe that the wines that come from the Helderberg taste rather different from wines that come from other parts of Stellenbosch. My name is Jean Engelbrecht. I'm the proprietor of Rissenfreder, just outside Stellenbosch. And I'm fortunate that I still live and work in the same place I grew up on. My parents actually bought the farm. Back in 1977, my family has always been grape farmers. My dad was looking for a place where he could make wine and he was looking for a specific kind of soil because he wanted to focus on red wine and he wanted to focus mainly on Cabernet and Shiraz. And the last thing that he was looking for was something with a bit of history, old Cape Dutch architecture. So that took some time to find the right place. And when he found Rissenfred, it was actually severely dilapidated. It was in a bad shape. But as he would always like to say that because of that, he could afford it. He then purchased the property and we moved here in 1977. So it's been a good run for us here. And as I said, I'm fortunate that I today live in the house that I grew up in. I work here in the winery and I work on the property. So I see that as a privilege. My name is Conkin Baron. I'm the winemaker from Nabosch Wine Estate, which is situated in the Stellenbosch area in the Southern Cape. We are a property that produces only one wine. We'll produce a blend of Cabernet Franc, Merlot and Cabernet Sauvignon, called Taubosch. In 2017, we purchased a property on the Helleberg Slopes, which is situated between Stellenbosch and uh, Town of Somerset West. Previously, very well known in mid-19s in South Africa for producing a wine called Crescendo. The owners then, after 15 years, decided to stop making wine and start selling the fruit. I was privileged enough to be in a position to purchase the fruit for another winery for 10 years when the property was up for sale. Myself and investors from France, the Oro family, 
then purchased a property in 2017. Tower's first vintage was released in 2018, which is a blend predominantly Cabernet Franc, Merlot, and Cabernet Sauvignon. The Hellebag as an area is not really big. Total area on the hectares is about 1,800 hectares, of which about 40% would be planted with vineyards. In this area, you get various pockets or different soils, but I would say that on the lower valley floor, you get olive soils planted mostly by Chenin Blanc, and going up on the slopes of the Helderberg, you get your red varieties, and right on the top, you will get farmers doing very well with Chardonnay. The one problem that we tend to have on the Helderberg once every three years would be a southeast wind that can really create havoc in your vineyard. Really strong and blowing for two to three days non-stop. Even though the soils are quite homogeneous on the Hellerberg slopes, the Hellerberg is mostly known for its brownish red oxide soil, so a lot of oxidized iron and aluminium in the soil, with about a 25% clay content, so very good water retention capacity. I would say 90% of the farmers on the Hellerberg or the growers are not irrigating their vines at all. It's not really necessary. So we have almost an opposite problem where we need to control our vigor. Therefore, we select less vigorous rootstocks like a Raptor 101.14. We have higher planting densities. And the general trellising on the Hellerberg is to have a bit of a star system meaning that instead of a VHP system where you have a morning and an afternoon side, the vines looking a less neat, I would say, because you need to have a penetration of sun or potted sun on both sides of the canopy. Therefore, there's also inclination of a lot of farmers or growers on the Helderberg to revert back to bush vine or goblet vine to make sure that we have not only sun in the vine, but also a lot of airflow right through the vineyard. The uniqueness of the Hellerberg is in one growing area is that we have a combination of elevation uh, between 350 to 450 meters above sea level, and we're about seven kilometers from the cold Atlantic. False Bay is actually helping to cool down these vineyards in the hot summer months of February, March. So we have a very slow, even growing season on the Hellerberg slopes. Also, this particular property has a very big clay content in its soil. So water retention capacity is good. Long, slow growing season. It's especially good for Bordeaux cultivars. The fact that we are so close to the ocean also allows for a lot of wind in the summer. So farming organically on the slopes of the Helderberg means that we need the wind in order to make sure that we do not have humidity around the vine. So we think about the Cape Doctor because it means there. So it's very much beneficial for us in our growing season to make sure that we don't get fungal diseases like mildew or odium in our vineyards prior to harvest. The prevailing wind here is the southeaster in the summer months. And because of our proximity to the sea and the way that the slopes are orientated, we get a lot of exposure from the southeaster that picks up cool air over the Atlantic Ocean and False Bay and blows it right into this area. And so we've often recorded temperatures of 
four and five degrees centigrade lower than the rest of Stellenbosch. And that is quite significant come January, February, March, when the ripening period for a lot of the varieties that we grow around here, when that's going on, four, five degrees centigrade can make a big difference in terms of how evenly and how slowly the grapes ripen. And that gives us I think, an advantage in the way that our wines show their acidity. We have a higher degree of natural acidity and also the elegance of the flavors. We tend to find that Helderberg fruit and the wines from the Helderberg tend to have a touch more elegance than power. Varieties such as Syrah and Grenache and that kind of thing, we find that enhances the spice component in our wines. Where we are, here in the foothills of the Helderberg mountain, we see a lot more of what is called coffee clip, which is a Dutch name for coffee stone, really. And it describes the little pebbles that make up the topsoil. They're round and they're very brown and they resemble a coffee bean. And so from there, coffee stone or coffee clip, as we call it. And this is a type of ferrocrete soil. It's very gravelly. In most places, there is clay, but the clay is very deep. It starts at a meter and a half to 1.8 meters. And everything above that is a very gravelly, rocky, very crunchy kind of soil. And that tends to make wines that have a strong sense of minerality. They're not as powerful and as broad as wines grown on clay, but rather more elegant and the finesse is what makes them stand out rather than the power and the opulence of wines that are grown on clay. The Helderberg is a relatively diverse part of Stellenbosch. There are vineyards quite high up on the actual mountain and those vineyards can be anything from 200 to 250 and I think the highest ones are actually closer to 300 meters above sea level there. And then as you come down into the foothills, the vines are planted mostly between 120 and 80 meters above sea level. The elevation between our blocks can vary close to 100 feet, but sunlight has a direct influence in the summer and the ripening season. Our lower-lying blocks get much warmer than the higher-lying blocks because there's always a little bit of an afternoon breeze through the higher-lying blocks, which we don't get the lower-lying blocks. The lower-lying blocks also ripen quicker because of that. And you can see it, we're lucky enough that we can keep the different blocks separate in the winery as they mature until we do our final blends. But that works for us to see how the different blocks perform and which components you want to put in where. We have a very homogeneous soil here at Rissenfreda. We have a slope north-facing, which is what we look for here in the Southern Hemisphere. So the soils of Ristenfreda is basically what we call the Hutton Clavelli. It's a decomposed granite and table mountain sandstone. But what we don't have on the property is we don't have different pockets of soil. They're all very similar. And I think the differences in the blocks, because we can certainly see differences in the wines from the different blocks, is more an altitude thing. The blocks goes with the lie of the land rather than having many different pockets of soil. I'm talking about Rist and Freda. We don't have that. But we see that as an advantage and we'd like to play to that. Historically, most grape farms and wine farms in South Africa would normally have a little bit of many varietals planted. That was just the order of the day. And I think that my dad was one of the few guys who way back in the 70s said, no, he wants to specialize in red. 
And we started off with only three varietals, which was Cabernet, Shiraz, and, and a little bit of Merlot. Today, we basically do Cabernet and Shiraz. And I think that decision has helped us at Rissenfreda to achieve what I think works well at Rissenfreda. But if you look at the last two decades, at least in Stellenbosch and around Stellenbosch, most producers have become far more focused as far as which varietals they're planting. And if there's one varietal that will stand in the Helderberg area, it is definitely Cabernet. I think it does well. Not that Cabernet cannot be planted anywhere else, but I think it brings a certain style and a certain segment of the market which the wine drinking public relates to very easy. I think that the Cabernets we produce here is very European in style, mostly because of the microclimate we have here in the Helderberg. We're on the coastal side of Selimosh, so as a crow fly, I think we're less than five miles away from the coast. We protect it from a lot of the winds that the Cape is known for with the mountain ranges that surround these farms in the Helderberg. So I would say today, where we are, most properties has a rather big focus on Cabernet in this area. The property is, was replanted 60% Cabernet, 30% Shiraz, 10% Merlot. But as we're phasing out the Merlot, two years from now, we would most probably look at a scenario where we have 70% Cabernet and 30% Shiraz. We produce today mainly Cabernet, Shiraz and a blend. So we have what we call Estate Vineyards Cabernet and Estate Vineyards Syrah, which is wines that comes from the different blocks on the property. Following that, we have single vineyard Cabernet and a single vineyard Syrah, which is two specific blocks that we chose that we make a single vineyard block from. They older vineyards, as it go with old vineyards and as it go with the virus control, we have now just in the process of replacing them. But we knew that's going to happen sometimes as well, sometime as well. But we've been on a replanting program the last eight years. So we've already identified blocks for these vineyards that, that, that can be certified as single vineyard. And then we do a, a blend that we just call estate. It was a blend that my dad did back in 1986. He did the first one. And it was Cabernet, Shiraz, and Merlot. And at the time, which made the blend quite interesting, was the first time that Shiraz was blended in with Cabernet in this country in a wine, and we added 10% of Merlot. Today, we still do the blend. We have less Merlot, and we're working towards a scenario where the blend will only be Cabernet and Shiraz. I would say that the estate is most probably the DNA of the property. And it's been the flag bearer of Riston Freda. It's been the flag bearer of the family wine. And, and then back in 2006, 2007, we made a new blend called the 6094, which commemorates the year that the property was founded, which is 60% Shiraz and 40% Cabernet. So we switched it around, which is like the flagship of the property. And not to be confused with what I said, the estate being the flag bearer. That came because of two reasons. The 1694 is we as a family also enjoy Shiraz as a single varietal tremendously. And I think that every generation must bring at least one new wine to the table. So it's a small production, but it, it was nice to do. And as I said, we started with that in 2006. The reason why we have Bordeaux varieties at Daibosch and the Hollerberg is that these varieties were planted when we purchased the property. And about my predecessor, a brilliant winemaker by the name of Chris Kitt, made a wine under the Cordoba name. Unfortunately for us, when we purchased the property, Cordoba is a place name in Europe, 
as well as South America, and according to EU regulations, we were not allowed to continue with the name Cordoba. So we inherited these vineyards, which were planted about 65% Cabernet Franc, 25% Merlot, and we decided instead of reinventing the wheel to use the grapes that were really high here, they're 20 years old, and they are really giving a sense of place, a style that we produce on Daibosh is not necessarily a generous wine. It's not full and voluptuous. It's more elegant because of the slow growing season. Our wines would have an alcohol content of no more than 13.5. Nice acidity, giving the wine longevity and make more in, a, in an elegant style. The Hellebeck is an area traditionally was always planted with Cabernet and Merlot and Cabernet Franc with a touch of Shiraz. The higher you go on the slopes of the Hellebrand, the better the slopes become for Chardonnay. You must bear in mind that, especially in the Hellebrand, depending on the aspect in terms of if the vineyard is looking three degrees more south, then your difference in temperature is enormous because of sun exposure. You don't really get morning sun before 11 o'clock as well, especially during the early growing seasons. And that is actually enabling a farmer to farm Cabernet Sauvignon and 300 meters away, you can have a brilliant Chardonnay as well. The main reason why Cabernet Franc is the main component of the Tarbosh wine, apart from the fact that these are the grapes that we founded and established on the farm without any viruses doing exceptionally well, is also that on the Hollenberg, because of the slow growing season, we tend to be able to harvest the Cabernet Franc at optimum ripeness without having our colds of 14 degrees plus. So it allows us to have a freshness and natural acidity in the wine and making wines with a lot of longevity. For me, the idea is to have a wine with a sense of place. So less interference in the winery, whether that be with yeast, whether that be with acidification or even maturation in the root regime. So for us, the idea is to showcase Elderberg in terms of a wine of place. It should have its stand on its own in that regard. The main difference between farming with Cabernet Franc and Cabernet Sauvignon in Elderberg is that if you farm with Cabernet Sauvignon, you need to have longer hanging time in order for the grapes to ripen properly not to have any pyrazine or green pepper flavors in the wine. That in turn means that the sugar accumulated in the fruit is getting higher, resulting in higher alcohol in the wine, when the prime product. Whereas with Cabernet from the trick is to catch it at that optimum ripeness level. The Cabernet Franc is a variety turns from almost cabbage green to leaf flavors to confit in three days. So, your understanding of the vineyards and your picking date is crucial, not only for Cabernet Franc, I think it's true for most varieties, because the picking date is something that you can never change. I think picking date is the most important aspect of winemaking, because then the life of the wine starts. It's the day that you decide to pick. That is the only thing that you cannot change at all. So for us, getting to know the vineyards, understanding it, for every one hour that I'm spending in the wine, we I think I've nine hours in my vineyards. 
because the way that Vine looks at 8 o'clock on a dry summary morning versus 4 o'clock on that same day is just not the same. So far, we'll visit the vineyard three, four times during the day to see how it reacts. Is transpiration still happening? Is the vine under stress? Should we pick in the morning, the very next day? Most of the time we ate, yeah. And just tasting. We never do analysis on, on the grapes prior to picking because I found that if I do analysis on the grape, I tend to overthink it. Even though that I tasted the grape is not ripe and the analysis should say it's ripe, then you tend to go with what the paper says, what the lab says. So for me, it is tasting and then make a decision on picking that. We've decided that we only produce one wine. We should be known for one wine. And to focus on that wine makes us think twice in everything that we do. It forces you to really focus because there's no room to hide. I'm extremely fortunate to have the orders as partners in this venture, for them, long-term is the next generation. So we want to do things right from the start. We are extremely patient. We know that we work with nature, and our job is to make sure that we leave the estate in a much better place than what we planted for the next generations to come. The Helderberg is a diverse place. It has many opportunities to do many different things. If you're talking about the famous Bordeaux-centric wines of great opulence and richness and power that are planted on the higher slopes of the Helderberg where there's more clay. Those wines are very well known and they deserve to be. They're wonderful expressions of their style. But at the same time, we on the lower slopes have more gravel. We have more rock. And because of that, the clay lies quite deep. So our vines grow in different conditions and for us to chase the kind of style that the winery is producing wine on the higher slopes would be wrong. It's a square peg, round hole type situation. And that took me personally a, a few years to understand. I didn't understand quite what the Helderberg, where we are, what its strengths are and what its potential is. Um, and over the space of a number of years, I started to realize that it, that here, our advantage is not to make the opulent big wines so that the higher slopes of the Helderberg can do so well. Our advantage here is our proximity to the sea, our aspect in terms of how the vineyards are orientated and the gravel soils. And it became clear to me that our style should rather reflect these aspects in terms of minerality, lower alcohol, higher degrees of natural acidity and more elegant flavors. That's really what we've built our style around. Radfordale is a Chenin Blanc specialist and has been since the beginning, really. We've gotten to the point now where we make six different Chenin Blancs. And each of them have to be unique and completely different to the others. Otherwise, why are you making six? Fortunately, Chenin Blanc is a special variety in terms of its diversity and its ability to reflect in a very clear manner the place of its origin. And when I say that, I mean it, the terroir and the conditions that it's growing in often has a way of finding itself into the wine in a very clear manner. And the Chenin Blanc that we make from the Helderberg is called Renaissance, and it's from a really old block here. It was planted 1969. And it's on quite a steep slope, a southeast-facing slope. And because of that, it really catches a lot of this maritime influence. And it's on a very particular kind of soil 
here. Most of the lower slopes where we grow our reds and things are characterized by coffee clip, which is the ferrocrete kind of soil. And this one is unique in the sense that it's granite derived. And most of the soils around Stellenbosch in this part of Stellenbosch are granite derived, but many are very decomposed. And I would call this not a decomposed granite, but a decomposing granite because it is really chunky. In some parts, there are pieces of quartz just like sticking out of the ground and it's very crunchy. When you go walking there, the topsoil feels almost like brown sugar when you're walking on it. It has a real crunch under, under your feet, a high quartz element. And this is a very scarce kind of condition, soil condition around here. There are many beds that are planted on decomposed granite and those can be quite decomposed. And this one is still quite chunky. And because of that, the wines take on a real minerality. There's maybe just a few inches of topsoil and then the roots go straight into the rock, the granite rock. And because of that, there's an inherent struggle in the vines and how they have to delve their roots so deep into the soil here for moisture. And it's this kind of struggle that creates intensity and concentration in the grapes. Also, the fact that it's quite old means that it has had some time to find its balance. And with old Chenin Blanc, I've found that your concentration is built in. You don't have to wait for big ripeness to find concentrated wines. And this is what gives us the ability to harvest quite early on. So typically, the Renaissance, depending on the vintage, would have an alcohol level of anything from 12 to 13%. And in some cases, it's even been as low as 11.5. And that is because we know the old vines are going to give us a beautiful concentration. And we are then able to take advantage of the acidity, the natural freshness that exists at a lower sugar level. So we never wait for that to reach really high sugar levels and go for big ripeness there. We find our style works best at lower sugar levels, lower levels of ripeness, which also coincide with this beautiful natural acidity. We have a number of reds that are grown in the Helderberg and specifically in this very chunky coffee clip that I was talking about earlier. We have now just released a range called Vinum. And one of the wines that goes into this range is a Grenache. And when you think about Grenache from Stellenbosch, it tends to be quite alcoholic. It's quite dense in the way that it presents its fruit and often seems quite heady in terms of how high-toned the flavors and the aromas are because of the ripeness that goes into most Grenache that is produced in Stellenbosch. We've gone the other way because we have not planted this Grenache on clay soils, as most of the Grenache vines around Stellenbosch are. We've chosen to plant that in the very rocky, chunky coffee clip. And so we know already that our style of Grenache will never be the really ripe, really dense, high-toned fruit that you can get on clay. So we've rather picked it early and then kept the extraction really light. And that creates a very elegant expression of Grenache. And that is the kind of thing that isn't often seen from Stellenbosch. So typically here, the alcohol is 13.5 instead of 14, 14.5, 15% alcohols that most of the Grenache around here is. Quite a well-known critic called Jamie Good reviewed this range and he called it an infusion style Grenache and that sort of really resonated with me because that is how we think of the Grenache here. We're not going for super ripe fruit. 
We are not going for really big extraction in terms of the tannins and that kind of thing. We're making a very elegant, light, refreshing style of Grenache. And the Helderberg is perfect for that. We've seen over the last few years some renewed energy in the Pinotage category. Pinotage, for the longest time, was a very misunderstood grape. A lot of people were exposed to some pretty bad Pinotage. And because of that, many people really didn't like Pinotage. But I've always said that is not the grape's fault. Its mother is Pinot Noir and its father is Cinso. And yet, in many cases, it's being made to do Cabernet work. And that just doesn't seem right to me. And the Helderberg especially is starting to emerge as a place where I don't want to call it the new school Pinotage because in many ways, the Pinotage wines that we're seeing emerging now are more a reflection of the Pinotage wines in the 70s that came from this area. They were lighter. They were more aromatic. They were longer lived. There was no sign of the bitterness that is often associated with Pinotage. And so the Helderberg seems to be a very exciting place for, for lack of a better word, new expressions of Pinotage. I can think of a few examples right now that ring a bell there. Bernard Bredel's wines. He makes a wonderful Pinotage called Atlanticas. Our own Radfordale Frankenstein is an example of this. And there are many others. But it seems to be a hotbed for this new style of Pinotage. Ratchfordale also has a large import part of our business and the wines that we were drinking informed a lot of our thinking when it comes to the production of our own wines. And it became quite evident that the wines that we really admired and the wines that we looked up to came from producers who valued purity above everything. And their approach to farming and their approach to winemaking was very much characterized by, to use the cliched term, hands-off winemaking and more natural and, uh, in many cases, organic farming. And that got us thinking, what do we actually need? How do we actually have to intervene? And what can we let go? And over the space of many years, starting in about 2011, 2012, we started seeing that by only intervening when we have to, our wines seemed to gain a purity and a wholesomeness in the way that they presented their fruit and their acidity and their flavor. And that really became the sort of the foundation for how we approach our winemaking. And that kind of thing is only really possible in a place such as the Helderberg, where there is a mitigating factor such as the maritime influence. I think people that are not familiar with South Africa and Stellenbosch in particular don't really understand that this is a very warm climate, really. Compared to the other parts of the world, viticulturally speaking, this is not a cool climate. And so I've always felt that, especially in our white wines, we have to really fight for every little bit of freshness that we can get in our Shannons and in our Chardonnays and that kind of thing. Because this is not a site or a region that naturally gives you a lot of acidity. We are blessed with a lot of sunshine and warmth and, and heat during the summer. So fruit expression for us is always relatively easy to achieve. We often get very ripe grapes here just by virtue of the climate, but are not always very balanced. Our wines, when we pick that ripe, aren't always as balanced as they should be. And so through various ways, we've been farming for freshness, really, and picking our grapes when the acidity becomes in balance. And that has 
tied in with our winemaking as well in that we have made a decision that we will not acidify. And once you take that sort of winemaking crutch away, it makes you focus much more on the fundamentals of your farming and the fundamentals of your winemaking um, to ensure that you have balance in the wine. Because the easy thing to do is to pick as ripe as you can and then see, oh, but we don't really have enough acidity to balance this big fruit flavor and all these tannins and things. Okay, let's add a single acid. And in many cases, that would be tartaric acid to bring back this balance. But inevitably, this creates something of a roughness in the wine. I've always believed that a wine should have a seamless sort of flow as you track it from the entrance all the way down to the finish. And it should never have a peak or a trough or something like that in terms of how it presents the fruit and the acidity. And it should all be very smooth. And the trouble is that when you do lose your natural acidity for whatever reason in the vineyard and you try and replace that with a single or a combination of acids that may bring the total acidity up to the level that will balance the wine. But because each of the organic acids that make up the natural acidity interacts with your palate in a different way and in a different spot, you get a very smooth sort of feeling from the acidity. When you try and replace all of those acids that you've now lost with a single acid, that will give you a big whack in one spot on your palate and that will ruin this kind of flow that we're after in terms of the acidity. But there are other ways as well that we have more freshness to our wines here by taking advantage of the soils and the climate. We know that we can expose the fruit relatively early to the sun by breaking leaves out. Each vine has the potential to then expose a little bit more of its fruit to direct sunlight early on. And if you time this leaf removal correctly, give you a higher degree of phenolic ripeness at a lower sugar level. And that's another way of bringing balance to the wine. Because if you don't have to wait for 15% alcohol for really ripe phenolic elements of your wine, you don't need as much acidity to balance that high alcohol and that very powerful fruit aroma and flavors that come with picking quite ripe. So it's all about adapting your thinking to the terroir and reverse engineering it from what you have and have a view of where you're aiming for and try and process everything in the middle here. That's how you take a holistic view of what you're doing. Because the temptation, it's always there that you take a sort of a one-size-fits-all approach. This is how you make Cabernet. This is how you make Shiraz. And if you take that kind of approach, oftentimes you'll find yourself in, in a place where you don't want to be because you haven't taken account of where you start from and where you want to go and the unique characters of your style, your terroir, and what you're aiming for. Since we built the property, we built a new winemaking facility, which is working with gravity. But the most important work that we've done is in the vineyards. We are in our third year of converting to organic winemaking. So all our vineyards, hopefully we will be certified this year as being organic. And we're in the process as well as going biodynamic. It's not something that I'm doing as an advertising or promotional item. I do it because we basically farm with soil, and soil health to me is absolutely critical. You get longevity in the rind, water retention is better in the soil for the rind. So we are turning all our properties, which is the Tarbush property, Pink Valley property, as well as the new property on the Polka Dry Hills, that 
is going to be called Kashan, be released later this year to organic and biodynamic winemaking. So my biggest change that we've done in Tybush and all our properties would be to change everything to organic vine growing. Members of the South African wine industry use the term Helderberg informally all the time. But the South African Wine and Spirits Board is considering recognizing the Helderberg as an official word, meaning producers would be able to use it on their labels, like they do names like Stellenbosch or Simonsburg Stellenbosch. This is always a complicated process, as the name, the borders, and other factors are all subject to scrutiny. The demarcation has been approved in terms of the area. The issue at the moment is the naming of it. So, obviously, it's quite a contentious issue in the fact that there are people that are excluded from the Hollerberg, and the claim would be that the Hollerberg does have an influence on them as well. But in order for a ward, irrespective from where it is, to have credibility, it needs to have certain homogenic factors in terms of wine growing. So, whether that be aspect, whether that be the soil composition, you need to have certain points which are similar. And the Hollerberg as a board has been demarcated, has been approved by the demarcation board. So the next step would be the naming of it. I think we're all involved in it. I'm on record on saying that I think it might be a little bit premature to put a lot of effort into it because I still believe on the international scene, we are still all a bit newcomers. The international markets only open up for us in 1992, which gives us a trailing edge of about 60, 70 years for anybody else. So for me, I think there's merit and justification in Helderberg, but I still think that the message that we must sell out to the international community is Stellamosh. You can go and look and see. I think Napa has done that very successfully in North America, where they have the different locations within Napa, but it's still Napa. So I think Stellenbosch is a very strong brand. And personally, I think that it is something that all of us, whether we in which different ward we are, Stellenbosch must be our number one priority to advertise and put forward to the international community. As I mentioned, the Helderberg is home to some of the first vineyards international visitors are likely to see right on the way from the airport. Wherever they settle in, they'll want to come back and spend more time. I think Rissenfreda and the entire Helderberg is definitely a geographical point of visiting for many reasons. If you go around the Helderberg area just where we are, which is right up in the mountain, on our entry road coming in from the main road is about 11 or 9 wineries with just as many restaurants and stuff. And they're all very different and I think it's fantastic because I've been to all of them and they all deliver a great sense of service and a great sense of place. And we close to town. Stellenbosch, the town, is a reason where people would visit. It's a student town. It's the second oldest town in South Africa. It's a lovely place to see. And then you have all these wineries in the Helderberg that offer so much and so many different things, as does other areas around Stellenbosch. But I think what helps us is we're close to Cape Town. To get here, it's a 45-minute drive from Cape Town. And we're 20 minutes from the international airport because we're on this side of the town and we're between the coast and Stellenbosch. So I think it is naturally a beautiful area to visit not only the Helderberg, but the entire Stellenbosch. And guests or visitors can choose where they want to go. But I, th- I think Helderberg is either one or two in terms of attracting the most visitors. And that purely is because there's so many wineries that offer different things other than just wine sales and wine tastings.
In terms of talking about the U.S., we have always maintained that if there's more direct flights to Cape, we will have more U.S. visitors. And we have now seen this, that the official number, the U.S. visitors to Cape Town has now surpassed the U.K. visitors for the first time in history. That is now an official number that they just published. I think there's six or seven direct flights now to Cape Town. And they come from different cities in the U.S. And once people get their mind around it that it's a 14, 15-hour flight, it's not too bad. But I think the Americans enjoy the South African kind of lifestyle. I've always maintained, and I lived in the U.S., that we are very similar. People like the fact that it is far less formal than a European environment. I think the Americans enjoy our food, our wine. And, of course, if you come from the U.S. and you come with dollars, it is most probably the best value for you can get anywhere in the world. So I'm looking forward to what the next decade brings because if you look at what happened now after COVID, the Americans were the first in the saddle to get over here. And we've seen them coming in since February and we have a constant flow of Americans through the winery and our restaurants here, which is fantastic. I hope you enjoyed this look at the Helderberg. You can find more information and links to the producers we spoke with at our website. WOSA.US. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends, or better yet, go to the platform where you found it and leave a review. That will help more people discover it and discover South African wines. In our next episode, we're going to go over the mountain, as South Africans say, to visit the Bredekhof. South African winemakers have always known it's a great source for quality grapes, and savvy wine drinkers are catching on as well. Like South Africa more generally, it's building its name around Chenin Blanc. I hope you'll join us.